0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum This episode of the Mom and Mind podcast is so proudly supported by Maternal Mental Health Now. They offer an online training on all things perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. It's the only self-paced and virtual training for perinatal mental health that you can do wherever you want and whenever you want. Find them online at www.maternalmentalhealthnow.org. They're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Thank you again so much for being with us. I'm so grateful to all of you listeners who come back and listen to these episodes. And for those of you who are sharing it with others who are in need to hear the support, I've been recently been hearing some stories from people about moms who've heard this podcast and felt helped and supported. And that just means the world to me. And that's the whole reason for this. In addition to making sure that we're all informed about as much as we can be. In this episode is another one of those things that I think we should all be informed about, which is eating disorders in pregnancy and postpartum. We're going to be talking with Dr. Stephanie Reinhold about eating disorders in the perinatal period. And from what I can gather, moms just don't have enough information about what's going on with themselves sometimes, and some providers don't have enough information either on how to support these moms. You know what is really great about this conversation in particular and really any conversation we're having about body related issues during pregnancy and postpartum is that even if you don't have an eating disorder outright or have never been diagnosed with one or had treatment for one there are things in this conversation that will resonate for you things that affect all of us. So even whether you have been diagnosed with an eating disorder or struggling with it, or you're a mom who has struggled with how you feel about your body, this episode is for you as well. So let's meet Dr. Reinold. Welcome, Dr. Reinald. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I just love what you're doing with this podcast, so I'm happy to be a part of
0: it. Thank you. I had you on my list of people to reach out to for a while, so I'm glad to finally be doing this and having this conversation with you. And I'd love for you to share with us all of the knowledge you have and tell us about the work that you do. But before that, maybe you can start with telling us your story. Yeah. So I
1: began my journey into motherhood uh, four years ago. My daughter's a little over four now. And my husband and I had been married for a little less than a year. And probably, I guess what's important to my story from decades, like a lifetime ago, is that I suffered from an eating disorder when I was younger, in my high school, kind of early college years. And I had been in recovery for several years. So I was in a very healthy place and it was a planned pregnancy. And yet I really had no clue what I was getting myself into, you know, the idea of gaining weight and gaining quote, too much weight was just this never ending fear. You know, I also had a lot of anxiety kind of throughout the pregnancy. I was actually still a medical student at the time. So it just was all around kind of a horrible setup for me. And, you know, I, Don't think necessarily I had like a clinical eating disorder in my pregnancy, but definitely very poor body image. I was never one of those Mm -hmm. people that just really embraced pregnancy, Mm -hmm. and then it it sort of kind of filtered into postpartum. To be honest, I just kind of, as many people describe, you just sort of feel like you're drowning. Like, is this all there is? You know, I was like Mm -hmm. going through a daze mixed with just never feeling good enough, and. I don't quite know what sort of came first, you know, was it postpartum depression or was it low body satisfaction, but it was the one thing I sort of could control postpartum was sort of my diet and exercise. And believe me, I mean I was back running like 2 weeks after I had my baby and mm. just really obsessive with everything because I think looking back it was my coping skill. And what I now know from an academic perspective. So I've always had an interest in eating disorders. I think, you know, most people I think that go through that personal experience and kind of see the light tend to sort of gravitate to those career fields. So I think part of my interest in psychiatry in the first place was to do eating disorders. And then I think my experience becoming a mom made me really interested in maternal mental health. And so then, mm-hmm. when I found a supervisor that sort of helped bridge those two interests into eating disorders and pregnancy, it was just the perfect sort of academic fit for me. And it took me learning about the academic side of it for me to even heal personally and me really seeing wow, our culture and our society sets women up for this. This is not Mm -hmm. a personal failure of my doing. You know, this isn't even because I had a history of it, I was going to necessarily have an issue with it in pregnancy. This is just what culture tells us. You know, culture is feeding us. You can only gain X amount of pounds. You can't eat these foods. You can't do this. And then the second you have the baby, you have to be back in your skinny jeans, like walking out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I'm surrounded by like very athletic, very, you know, petite females and most quote, you know, new moms around me at the time I had my baby, they were just like that. I mean, they did Mm -hmm. seriously look like a cover model coming out of the hospital. And so I just thought, okay, I guess that's (laughs) what people expect Mm -hmm. of me. So when that didn't happen and I really saw a very permanent change in my body postpartum, it was truly devastating. But I will say, so this is the interesting part of my story that is sort of the redemption moment, because I did get pregnant again, which actually ended in a miscarriage. But my next pregnancy that went full term was with my son, who's now a little over a year old. And the beginning of that pregnancy began similarly, unfortunately, you know, Mm -hmm. petrifying of gaining, quote, too much weight, you know, trying to, quote, be healthy, And then something very interesting happened when I was about 22 weeks pregnant. He was diagnosed with intrauterine growth restriction, which for any listeners that don't know what that is, that pretty much means that for whatever reason, the baby was not growing to the right dates that he was measuring. And I basically kept kind of telling myself, great, it's like one more thing I sort of failed at. Because mm-hmm. the most common cause of intrauterine growth restriction is a placental insufficiency, and the most mm-hmm. common causes of placental insufficiency is often gestational hypertension or gestational diabetes or something that's pseudo in the control of the mother. And mm-hmm. I didn't have any of those things. I was quote healthy. I. Ate well. I was exercising well. I felt great. I mean, I really have been blessed with pretty good pregnancies. Otherwise, I didn't have hypertension. I didn't have diabetes. I didn't have any weird, you know, clotting disorders or anything else that usually can cause placental insufficiency. And so it really took a very introspective approach at myself to look at One, I was under an immense amount of stress at that time. Mm -hmm. My husband and I were geographically separated. And so I was handling a then three-year-old and a full-time job and, you know, this pregnancy by myself. Mm -hmm. And for the amount of physical activity I was doing, I was nowhere near eating enough calories for Mm -hmm. myself. And it actually kind of took me acknowledging that and being able to tell my high-risk doctor, you know, I know that I look okay, but I think this is actually what's going on. And she verified that actually. And it Mm -hmm. was actually a very healing experience for me because it was probably the first time in my life I was trying to actively gain weight because I Mm -hmm. knew that if I really was gaining weight, then I was helping my son and my Mm -hmm. pregnancy was healthy and it's so funny in this culture where we're constantly trying to lose weight, constantly trying to be smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. smaller. And it was the very first time in my life that I let that all go. And mm-hmm. I was weighing myself to actually gain weight. You know, every day mm-hmm. I was like begging God that I would gain weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all said and done, he was still IUGR, but he did continue to grow, which basically means when he was born he was in about i think the fourth percentile for his growth but typically they get most concerned when it's about like three percent or under and he's now 14 months and super healthy walking babbling talking baby and it's sort of just this very miraculous kind of experience for me that i was Mm -hmm. able to go through that
2: well hey there busy mama
1: Because postpartum with him was a totally different experience. I think I actually, Mm -hmm. for the first time, saw my body for what it was instead of Mm -hmm. some, you know, damaged piece of flesh that just held a baby for nine months. Instead, it was, wow, like, you know, if I can take care of my body well, you know, maybe it will not look like this ideal you know, perfect, quote unquote, Mm. pregnant woman's body. Mm -hmm. But it was my pregnant woman body. And it was healthy. And it created this amazing life out of it.
0: Wow, that's quite an evolution of mine. I don't know what else to call it. There's that, (laughs) that really like deep, deep experience that you made that connection for yourself. I mean, it's so hard to acknowledge those kinds of things anyways, that what we are doing may be having some impact on our body or our children. And, you know, in the culture where, like you've already been saying, we're so judged and whatnot, it can be hard to really think deeply about what we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my research came from specifically binge eating disorder in pregnancy, mm-hmm. and which for those, you know, it's kind of the new kitschy diagnosis that came out in 2013, I believe. So, not a lot of research has been done about it, but nonetheless, it's the most common eating disorder. And it's probably extremely underdiagnosed because most cases of binge eating disorder actually look like restriction because they actually think that the kind of root cause of binge eating behaviors is a history of restriction beforehand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense then that in pregnancy, first of all, your hormones are sort of telling you to, quote, binge eat. I mean,
4: initially,
1: mm-hmm. and especially in your first trimester, your hunger hormones are off the charts. So sure. it's very largely hormonally based that we want to be eating more calories. And yet mm-hmm. it's also in a society that now has said you shouldn't be gaining any weight in your first trimester. And so, you know, if we gain like 5, 10, mm-hmm. even 15 pounds, I've seen – some women and they just go crazy you know it's insane Mm -hmm.
0: feeling bad about themselves feeling
1: absolutely yeah like feeling like they're already failing at pregnancy and Mm -hmm. usually you know first trimester and you know as you're aware i mean i think it's horrible i think it's the worst trimester Mm -hmm. (laughs) because people are already (laughs) trying to you know if you're in the workforce you're kind of covering your pregnancy or you know you're specifically not disclosing that you're pregnant you know, for personal reasons, what have you, but you can't quite, I think, allow yourself to be happy that you're pregnant. So Mm -hmm. if you're already gaining weight, and you don't quote, look pregnant, because you don't have a bump, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't quite look pregnant, you know, you can just feel a little pudgy and out of place. And where I trained at George Washington University in DC, we had a really good relationship with our midwifery practice. And that's actually where we got the majority of our referrals from that clinic. And GW is actually known nationwide for the midwifery practice because of this amazing holistic diet that they really promote and push on a lot of their pregnant women. And maybe for a lot of women, it's helpful to have a guideline for what you should and shouldn't eat. I will say more times than not, we saw the awful aftermath of that. You know, we saw women that became basically clinically OCD. Because Mm -hmm. they became so hyperactive about what they were eating and, Mm -hmm. you know, just petrified if they had one piece of bread or one ice cream cone Mm -hmm. that wasn't, you know, because their whole diet is more or less like a paleo, like whole foods kind of thing, which Mm -hmm. is great, right? You know, we want to have nutrition density in pregnancy, but we also want a holistic, healthy mother. Because, you know, from my own experience and from what I see clinically, sometimes it doesn't really matter what you're eating as long as you are under less stress and you are feeling better because it's like that missing piece that we've all just forgotten about that Mm -hmm. our mental health matters vastly more sometimes than all the nuts and bolts like black and white, X, Y, and Z, like calorie counts of things. and. You know, I see so many women that eat, like, quote, junk food all pregnancy, and they have perfectly happy, healthy babies, and they're perfectly happy, healthy moms. And then on the flip side, you see a completely OCD, like, neurotic mother who's trying to do, do, do all the right things, eat all the right foods, and she's driven herself crazy, and she ends up, like, horribly depressed and anxious postpartum Mm -hmm. with this aftermath. Because, as we know, we can't live up to those crazy expectations.
0: Right. So in terms of, you know, maybe for people who are just learning about eating disorders during pregnancy and and postpartum, what are the common things you see or those moms may be experiencing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is, did you have a history of any disordered eating prior to pregnancy? And I include chronic dieting, really low body image, Or, you know, full blown eating disorder like bulimia, anorexia, binge eating disorder. There's lots of different forms of eating disorders that I think probably go undiagnosed even before you're ever pregnant. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I see a patient, they're probably already pregnant or postpartum. So it's sort of defeating the purpose. But if you happen to be working with women that they're not pregnant yet, or you yourself are planning a pregnancy, really do a good inventory of yourself and what is your relationship with your body? What is your relationship with your food like at this time in your life? Because whatever it is, it can only get worse. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's probably not the most optimistic thing to say, but Mm -hmm. pregnancy and postpartum, I mean, your body changes so dramatically Mm -hmm. in such a short period of time. That if you are already struggling in any way, shape, or form, unfortunately, it only could get worse. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to just be very, very honest with yourself. You know, if you do indeed really struggle in this department, you can expect that pregnancy and postpartum will probably be a little challenging for you. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, once I got to my second trimester, and second trimester for many people tends to be pretty protective, so for lots of reasons. I mean, I think progesterone is super elevated, so from a hormonal perspective, biologically, you know, it tends to be like the most feel-good time of pregnancy. But that first trimester is really, you're kind of the most vulnerable, because like I said, your hunger hormones are really all over the place. So your appetite can be really different. You know, that's when you usually have a lot of food aversions, you have nausea, vomiting, you know, which sometimes can even trigger if you've had a history of bulimia, you know, it can trigger it even worse, because now you're actually Mm -hmm. kind of physically feeling the effects like you want to purge a lot. So that can be very triggering for people. In addition, we know that our digestive system slows down. So people that tend to binge eat or that feeling of fullness, if it's really distressing to you, that can also be really triggering in that first trimester. So typically by second trimester though, things tend to improve. And then third trimester is sort of its own kind of breed. Sometimes people continue to improve until the very end. Other people, if they you know have very large babies or if they're just extremely physically uncomfortable it can kind of be a rehash of the first trimester symptoms and then obviously wow. most vulnerable is postpartum when you go from all this sort of love and admiration so i mean it's very funny that we like kind of all the attention of pregnancy so like you have this like great beautiful pregnant belly that everyone gives you all this kind of attention for So even if you don't physically kind of feel beautiful, like, I mean, I didn't, I mean, pregnancy was kind of this horrific mental mind trip for me. And a lot of women don't, but a lot of women do. A lot of women get a lot of praise and it's a very kind of protective period. And then all of a sudden (laughs) you're like a deflated balloon in five seconds, Mm -hmm. like when the baby's out and you feel horrible because no Mm -hmm. longer are people giving you any attention for your physical body. And instead, they're looking directly at the baby. So it's crazy, but in a weird way, because how, what's the word, intrusive our society is for pregnant women. You know, we touch pregnant women's belly. We're like sort of enamored by the pregnant woman. You know, we look at them. We Google at them. We want to, you know, all over them. We throw baby showers for them. And then all of a sudden, for that same body that just yesterday you loved me for, now mm-hmm. no one is paying attention to me so a lot of theories are completely in kind of rely on that sense that psychologically there's something that sort of shifts and it's this complete lack of attention now for our bodies and now we're sort of trying to get it back and we're in a society that is ridden with diet culture and messaging of you know you see celebrities that like quote have their bodies back in 2 weeks mm-hmm. and You know, women that are wearing bikinis like after they just had their babies. And here you are, Mm -hmm. us normal women who have stretch marks and cellulite and flabby skin. And, you know, I had a C section. So I, you know, I had never had surgery before. So then to all of a sudden have this like massive scar and not to mention the physical Mm -hmm. limitations of that, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a horrific time. And, you know, you physically cannot do the same things you used to do. You know, women that had, Mm -hmm. You know, if they had really large like third or fourth degree tears or, you know, even just having stitches or just even just birthing a vaginal delivery, it's a horrible recovery. And so you go from kind of feeling on top of the world in pregnancy for your body to then all of a sudden no one even talking about your body unless they're talking about, you know, your breasts and your breastfeeding and then they're telling you everything that's wrong about it. And so you're getting all this confusing messaging. And so it's just, honestly, it's horrible. And gosh, it's like you can't even get out of the hospital before someone's talking to you about, you know, their next boot camp or diet plan to get your body Uh back.
0: Oh, my gosh. So if you are getting attention specifically on your body not related to breastfeeding, it's about how you need to get it together. I think It's all negative attention at that point. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I Mm. think, but see, it's done in such a subtle way. I mean, it's very manipulative. I mean, marketers are good. (laughs) It is because, you know, people are so subtle. It's like as if it's the healthy thing to do. I mean, heck, I think after my daughter was born, the reason I breastfed, probably 50% of breastfeeding was because I was burning more calories, you know mm-hmm. and i say this out loud because i think a lot of women think it and so i'm just letting you know that that's okay mm-hmm. but just give that a little deeper thought too because mm-hmm. there's something that is disordered i mean i was disordered in that thought process and mm-hmm. you know i had a patient even just recently i think she was about 18 19 weeks i mean she was still early in her pregnancy and already petrified of how she was going to lose her baby weight. And Mm. I say this because this is not that uncommon. This is extremely common that the second a woman is pregnant, all of a sudden we're telling her both as a society and as a medical community that you can only gain X amount of pounds to be quote healthy. And if you gain more than that, then your baby's not healthy and you're not healthy, and then, oh, by the way, if you don't lose it all before you have another pregnancy or within uh, X amount of time period, then you're a total failure.
0: (laughs) So then, moms who are struggling are juggling all of this. Yeah, And I mean, we're talking about it in a very, very specific way. I guess I'm assuming that a mom who's juggling all of this isn't necessarily having this full awareness that we're describing right now of okay, this is actually what's happening. All these people are telling me what to do and I'm feeling like, you know, jostled around about what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not. They're just feeling this feels terrible and I'm not good enough part. What are the other things that you hear from moms about how they feel during this period of time? In pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – Well, first of
1: all, just the fear of weight gain, I think is huge. And so what I would like to say, I just want to give a little bit of education because I think sometimes when we get facts, it tends to sort of just kind of sit with us a little better. So First of all, I know what your fear is. Your fear is that if you gain too much weight, you're going to get diabetes, or your baby's going to be too big, or you're going to have a horrible labor because all the medical community has scared us to believe that if we gain too much weight, all these bad things in our pregnancy will happen. So I want to debunk that, first of all, because there is no fact in that. Gestational diabetes is very genetic, very genetic. There are mm-hmm. you know, very heavy women that never get gestational diabetes, and there are very thin women that get gestational diabetes. So that is not revolved around what you eat or what you do. It's very much more tied to genetics and how women in your family handle pregnancy. Also, the next one is the size of your baby. The size of your baby also is very largely genetic. For me, example, I mean, the women in my family tend to have smaller than average babies, all of my babies have been pretty small. They're now of sort of average, you know, normal height and weight, but at birth, I tend to have small babies. My sister-in-law, for an example, is tiny. She is smaller than me as a person. You know, she's a couple inches shorter than me, she weighs less than me, and her babies have been on average 2 pounds heavier than my babies. So, it does not matter, you know, I was, quote, a bigger pregnant woman than my sister in law, but her babies were actually larger than mine. So mm-hmm. it's so much about how we form placentas in our body, which is so genetic, and every placenta yeah. is different from pregnancy to pregnancy. So, first of all, I want to just debunk that this whole how much you gain weight in pregnancy has to do with how healthy your pregnancy is or how healthy your baby will be because it's false. And even if you were to straight up ask your OB, they should be able to tell you the facts that that's not accurate. Second being, you absolutely have the right to not be weighed. So I wish I knew this in my first pregnancy because I had a history of an eating disorder and I knew that going into my pregnancy and I knew that weight triggered me and I knew numbers triggered me and I should have probably just never been weighed. Or, you know, you can turn your back to, you know, the scale or less frequent weighing ins. You know, you don't have to like do it every single time you go. It's like every other time. Or if they think there's a concern because pretty much after about 20 weeks, you know, when they start measuring the fundal height, which is when they put the little thing on your belly to measure your belly, that's actually more accurate than any weight you're gaining anyway. So, You have the right to tell them and that is you know, patient autonomy to say, I have this history. This is very triggering for me. I do not want to know how much I weigh unless there is a medical reason for you to tell me and wow. to really stand in that integrity because I know it's a lot easier said than done. But my second pregnancy around, I didn't say anything. And actually, they were concerned because my belly was measuring small. So then they did weigh me. But even then, I didn't know and I chose not to know. And it, it wasn't, ironically, it wasn't until I was trying to gain weight that I started weighing myself again to sort of kind of keep tabs on things. Mm-hmm. So those two things. Well,
0: that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, those two things are huge, like really trying to mm-hmm. separate out like health with what you look like in pregnancy, which is, I know, easier said than done, but that's huge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And getting rid of the scale in your pregnancy, if that's going to be triggering for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Even though I was pregnant twice, I just kind of did what they told me to do, stepped on the scale, all that stuff. And for the first time ever, I realized I could have said no just right now <laughs> when you were saying that. Like, you know, you're just you're, know, you're going into the totally. doctor's office and doing what they're doing. But like that piece of, information is just could be liberating for so many people absolutely well i mean of course of course yeah i mean and don't even get me started
1: like the fact that we're so you know cognizant of weight and screening for diabetes and then we never screen for someone's mental health so I also think it's important to, first of all, just have a good relationship with your OB, which is, again, I know, easier said than done. You spend like five seconds with this person like once every six weeks. (laughs) You expect to like have this Mm -hmm. great, endearing relationship. But nonetheless, it should be at a level where you can at least speak openly and honestly about this stuff. And if they are not going to hear you out, I think you need a second opinion or you need to find a different doctor Mm -hmm. because eating Mm -hmm. disorders... By themselves. So, not even to mention what medical repercussions can come from the eating disorder behaviors, but having an eating disorder sets you up for much higher rates of uh, preterm labor, premature births, all the issues that come from that, postpartum mood disorders, postpartum hemorrhage. I mean, eating disorders themselves have so much risk associated with them because what happens. I think as most women in the state of an eating disorder think that they are doing good. Somehow, you know, we sort of brainwash ourselves to think that all of my behaviors are good. You know, I'm restricting myself to only whole foods and I'm not eating gluten and I'm not eating whatever. And in fact, although counterintuitive to what society and all messaging is telling you, you're really doing a lot of harm. And I share my personal story that I mean, I basically stunted the growth of my baby in pregnancy. And it's incredibly almost shaming sometimes to say that out loud, but I share it because I was doing all the right things. I was getting tons of attention. Mm -hmm. I was that woman at the office that people are like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, your little bump Mm -hmm. is so little. It's so cute. Mm -hmm. And it just fed me. It fed me because I was like super, I was here, I was super fit. I was quote healthy, you know, but Mm -hmm. the amount of working out I was doing in my pregnancy and the like, not enough, I wasn't, you know, starving myself by any means, but I was not eating at a level that a pregnant woman should be to provide for her baby.
0: Yeah. I mean, just in terms of, you know, your experience and what you've been describing that other people experience i'm just thinking of like man there are so many gaps in what moms you know kind of should know or at least be informed about for themselves and their health and now i'm also wondering about maybe what are the limitations of the health care providers and how should they be supporting moms to like, what are we missing here? What can we do better?
1: Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, I don't know when it was, whenever they made the discrepancies in what your BMI was pre-pregnancy to how many pounds you, quote, should gain. Mm-hmm. I think that is when our downturn began because it used to be – I mean, you talked to, like, your grandparents, like, you know, even my mom mm-hmm. – It was a different generation. They were like, oh, yeah, eat whatever you want, honey. Like, have fun. You're pregnant, you know? And then I think all this backlash came about with this idea that we now have to basically dictate pregnancies. And in order Mm. to make our babies, quote, healthier, we need to make pregnant women, quote, healthier. And they've equated health with how much weight a woman gains. But the recent research, so they go back and forth all the time between, you know, higher BMIs and if they should gain less weight, whatever. But actually, I think the last research I've heard is that even higher BMIs should still be gaining much more weight than what they think. And that's sort of another just huge myth out there that, you know, quote, overweight women, I don't like that word per se anyway, but nonetheless, that they should, you know, gain less weight because they already have weight on their body which is kind of a whole fallacy argument to begin with, that somehow the baby is going to like tap into your fat stores and suck it all up. Because any of us who breastfed Mm -hmm. for that reason knows that that's just not quite how fat stores come off of your body.
5: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
4: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
1: So there's just so much misinformation out there. And unfortunately, research is just not done on it. You know, unless someone Mm. can kind of attach it to a drug or money they're not going to do these big label studies. So then we don't get very good information. And so much of like nutritional data is just totally flawed to begin with, because the studies, the information that they get is largely from diet recall, which means that all the statistics that usually come that prove anything about any nutritional study is coming from a person that tells you what they ate like three days ago.
0: So I can't even tell you what I ate exactly.
1: three days ago. Exactly. And no <laughs> one can. No one can, right? And yet, yeah. so we have, there's tons of flaws in all of these studies, and yet there's mm-hmm. diet books that are promoted out of it. There's entire protocols in the medical community promoted out of it. And so it's just, it's really unfortunate. So, I mean, I always just start with education because I think the more you know and you can empower yourself, the more you can take it to your doctor Because let me tell you this, like doctors do like facts. So if you can come to them with facts, they can't argue that, you know, they like their algorithms and we're kind of brainwashed in medical school to think in that way. And it really does take sometimes a really proactive patient, which is sad and unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. I empower you that that is your right. And that's what I hope that everyone can do.
0: Right. So in what way that some medical providers might be contributing to the problem?
1: Well, I've heard stories. I mean, I didn't experience this for myself. But, you know, I've heard stories that, you know, different OBs sort of blame women for gaining too much weight or they tell you, you know, be careful, you're going to have a big baby or, you know, just like horrible commentary that is just so unhelpful. Or, you know, after they get diabetes, like if they're diagnosed with gestational diabetes, then they, you know, may tell them it's their fault or, I mean, it's unfortunate what goes on, but I've heard it all and I know that it happens. And in this particular midwife practice that I trained with at GW, and I do not want to bash all midwives by any means. Like this practice was amazing. It is, I mean, they did amazing work and I have a immense amount of respect for midwives, but their diet protocols, I thought were very deleterious for women's health in pregnancy. And we actually, we had to interfere on our patient's behalf sometimes because Mm -hmm. they sort of kept promoting different things. And they would, you know, at every visit, patients would tell me that the midwife asked them what their diet was like. And this one patient in particular that I spoke of a little earlier, when she was you know so petrified of losing the weight, she told me that actually the day before our session, she said she had a milkshake. And she told me as if she robbed a bank. You know?
4: <laughs> and
1: it's awful, but that is yeah. the kind of shame that I think it's not just this one practice and it's not just this one patient. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a cultural problem that we somehow have shamed pregnant women that they cannot enjoy a milkshake. And I asked her, I said, did you enjoy it? And she said, yeah, but I just immediately, I just felt so guilty. And I said, why? And she said, because I guess I'm just not supposed to have a milkshake because it's not on my diet. And I said, but what if you could just have a milkshake? And it was as if she'd never given herself permission at all. And I'll never forget that look in her face because – it's as if I was, like, giving her permission, like I just said, to, like, rob a bank or something. It was crazy that we have yeah. controlled and brainwashed women that you can't even eat what you want. And I laugh. And so, yeah. I mean, I laugh. I'll just, you know, personal anecdote. I mean, in my first pregnancy, gosh, I think I lived on, like, bean burritos, which is not the best mm-hmm. diet. But, you know, when you have morning sickness and nothing is kept down – and bean burritos are what get you through the day. That is all I could handle. And I tell my patients that and they're like, really? <laughs> it's so funny to me. <laughs> but you know, that's when a little self-disclosure is, you know, therapeutic and healthy because yeah, it's fun. just incredible the kind of messaging that either we're told directly or we just internalize from years of living in this culture that is petrified mm-hmm. of getting fat. And pregnancy is viewed as this fat time of our life.
0: So what do you say to moms? What kind of supportive messages and hopeful messages do you have for them while you're working with them or for anybody who's listening about how to get through this?
1: The first thing I can say is it's never about the food. You know, this conversation has been about eating disorders, but it's so transferable to everything else because honestly, I never start with the food because that's usually the most difficult thing to change the mindset of anyway. But naturally, over the course of working with someone, you deal with their mood, you deal with their anxiety, you deal with other stressors in their life, and the eating resolves itself. So my first question to you is, if you feel this need to restrict, or you feel so out of control that you're binging, or you're, quote, emotionally eating, or you are feeling so guilty about your diet, or your body image, Look a little deeper because 99% of the time, this isn't about your body, this isn't about the food. There is some other much larger, maybe really scary stressor in your life at this time, or just even some underlying trauma or shame about the pregnancy in general or about your baby, or there's something else there that probably can and will be addressed before the eating and body stuff. Comes around anyway.
0: So, would it be useful to go to a therapist who specializes in eating disorders or perinatal mental health or both?
1: I mean, I think if you can talk with someone that you trust more than anything, that's most important. So, if that is someone that's specialized in eating disorders, that'd be obviously gold standard, but there's not that many. And I think sometimes, even within the eating disorder community, unfortunately, they are not as knowledgeable about, you know, health at every size or even like a body positive outlook, unfortunately. So, and some don't know anything about perinatal mental health, which is a whole other thing. So I actually think sometimes finding just a really good perinatal mental health professional is your best bet because just the understanding of pregnancy tends to be kind of the more sort of paramount change. I mean, because obviously the change is the baby. That is the stressor. I mean, the stressor is you're pregnant. You're bringing a life into this world. It's a huge Mm -hmm. cataclysmic event in someone's life. And Mm -hmm. so if you have a history of disordered eating, it's only natural that this is how you want to cope through food and focusing on your body. So I don't fault you by any means. Heck, I'm a professional. And that's how I used myself to cope. So don't shame yourself. Just think, look, I used this to cope in the past. It's not beneficial to me anymore. But for some reason, this is a very difficult transition for me to make. How can I get through this better? And you probably will need some time with a professional that can help you work through that.
0: And you've seen that helpful, be helpful for people. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, the women that I can see earlier in their pregnancy – tend to fare better postpartum because we already start troubleshooting postpartum because I think that is the most high risk period. And so if you can already expect, Mm -hmm. like you can sort of train your brain, like, okay, I know I'm going to feel fat. I know I'm going to have no energy. I know I'm going to have lack of sleep. And you literally, I mean, we will sit and just talk through different situations You know, I'm going to be really hungry because I might be Mm -hmm. breastfeeding. I'm going to be so tired. You know, I'm not going to have sex. So what is it going to feel like to, like, not feel, like, sexy in myself and not have a relationship with someone and have this baby that's just, you know, using me and I can't give anything back to anybody and really working through that? And then it's, like, not as much of a sort of cataclysmic event than postpartum. It's like, oh, I was expecting Mm -hmm. this. Exactly.
0: Right. So, and this is just such a common message throughout every, most every pregnancy and postpartum story I hear where there is a struggle is that shame is such a part of it. And if we can just, and guilt, and if we can just allow ourselves to be human and allow ourselves to receive support and work through some of these things then it will fares better for us in the long run. Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying about moms who are dealing with eating disorders during pregnancy Absolutely. And, and
1: I will just leave on this one note. So as I say it's it's never about the food. The one common thread with all eating disorders and I think with a lot of mental illness in general is the aspect of control. And so to keep in mind that you're likely engaging in this behavior or this distorted thought pattern to try to gain control in a situation that you have no control over. Pregnancy and postpartum, Mm -hmm. you just can't control it. It's not only that you can't control your own body, you have another body now. You have a body of a baby that you can't control. I can't control how much weight my baby will gain. Even if I am gonna gain a certain amount of weight, I have no control how big my baby will be. Zero. I have no control whether he will breastfeed well. Zero. You know, I know that people want to tell you that you do have this control, and if you do this, this, and this, like you can improve things. But at the end of the day, it's still another personality. It's another being that mm-hmm. you have no control yeah. over. Yeah. You, don't, you have no control that they're going to sleep well. You have no control like how they're going to eat, how they're going to fare after they mm-hmm. come out of the womb. And you have no control how your body will respond postpartum.
0: Right. So, and it's really hard to get comfortable with not having that control. But and but that's part of the the transition is getting used to not knowing stuff and trying to get real comfortable yeah, with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: it's not easy. Yeah. Like I've been yeah. at this now four yeah. and a half years, and it's still hard for me to relinquish right. the control. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I thank you so much for your wisdom and knowledge and perspective on all of this. I'm so hopeful that people who are listening who have either experienced this or or support moms who deal with eating disorders have also been enlightened by our conversation today. So I thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Reynolds, for coming on and sharing this information with us. I'm really hopeful that you know as i mentioned in the introduction that there's information in here for all of us there are just so many ways that societally and culturally that we are made to feel ashamed about our bodies and that we are told that we're supposed to look like or be like in order to be a good enough mother or a good enough person for that matter and i'm just going to call bs on all of that real quick because it's such pressure it's so much pressure And so I'm hopeful that we can all, after listening to this, can give ourselves a little bit of leeway, a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of our humanity, and reduce that shame and guilt that we all carry around about these issues. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, please do join us and come on over to iTunes or Google Play Music or your favorite place to listen to this podcast and subscribe so you can get all of these episodes downloaded to your device and you can pick and choose the ones you'd like to listen to. And if you haven't yet joined us on the Mom and Mind Facebook page or the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group, please check us out and come and join the conversation. Until next time. Thank you to Maternal Mental Health Now for supporting this podcast. I've been able to get to know the amazing people in the organization over the years, and they really have a heart and passion for this work. The online training that they offer is really the only one of its kind, since it's self-paced and it comes to you. It covers perinatal mood and anxiety disorders like prenatal and postpartum depression and anxiety, OCD and postpartum psychosis, and they also offer continuing education, so there's 12 CMEs for physicians, 12 CEUs for LMFTs, LPCCs, LCSW and CHES, and 14 CEUs for RNs. The training has seven independent modules including risk factors and prevalence, symptoms and diagnoses, screening and assessment, attachment and bonding, interventions, treatment plans and medication considerations. To top that off, the lectures are provided by leading experts in the field, including Dr. Diana Barnes, Dr. Emily Dossett, and Gabrielle Kaufman. So if you're interested in learning more about maternal mental health, especially if it's hard for you to get to a live training, consider this option. Go to www.maternalmentalhealthnow.org. I really just love that this is available wherever you are so that you can help the moms and families right where you are.